We've mentioned a, a number of times already this year uh, that a number of our sermons, uh, for Joey and for mine, uh, a number of, of our sermons this year are going to be surrounding uh, our mission statement for this congregation. Uh, our mission statement being uh, strengthening our families and influencing our communities by embodying the truth in love. And the, up to this point, almost having gone all the way through April, we have touched on many different aspects uh, concerning this particular statement, many different areas uh, that have to do with this particular statement. And today serves as yet another opportunity to look at another aspect of this particular statement, uh, this one specifically being geared towards our communities, the idea of influencing our communities. And Joey and I, uh, in our planning, have decided once again to do somewhat of a part one and part two today uh, concerning our sermons, uh, allowing them to connect and to build off of one another. And so I hope that you return this evening to hear uh, a great message uh, from Joey concerning things that we're also going to be talking about this morning. If you would go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 is where we're going to camp out this morning um, as we talk and also this evening for the duration of our time as we discuss a very well-known parable, a parable that many people know, many people understand, many people have heard and have been taught uh, on a various number of occasions. But there are a couple of things that I want to point out about this particular parable uh, before we jump into the text here of Luke chapter 8. I fear that oftentimes when we look at this particular parable, I think many times we call it by the wrong name. We've called it the parable of the sower uh, for, for years. That's what I have always known it to be called. I'm sure that is what you have always known it to be called. That's what we ourselves call it whenever we're talking about this particular parable. Because within this parable, when we talk about it, we place so much emphasis on that of the sower itself. And certainly uh, we are right in doing that. Certainly there is significance on the sower, isn't there? Certainly the sower bears a great responsibility that's been placed on him. We, I know, under, and I understand we can't forget that. We have talked about multiple times this year the command that we have been given by Jesus Christ himself to carry out the great commission, to go into all the world and to teach the gospel to every single person. And that's a great deal of what we're going to cover this morning, but I think more so this evening as we look at this particular parable. But what we need to do is this. We need to be very, very careful when we look at parables like this because I fear that oftentimes, whether it be on purpose, maybe on accident, we can take the emphasis off of the most important thing that's being talked about here in this particular parable. We understand in Luke chapter 8 and verse 11, the Bible talks about the seed being uh, compared to or being a representation that of the word of Almighty God. And I think that far too often, again, perhaps on accident, maybe on purpose, we so often strip the seed of its importance and we place it on that of the sower. If there is one thing that you and I can take away from our message this morning, I hope that it is we always remember the importance and the, the, the valued nature, the vital nature of the message and not of the messenger. You and I must not, we cannot take the emphasis away from the scriptures as you and I are interacting with our communities. That's how it's always been. And that's how it's always, always going to be. Now, when we look at this parable, again, I mentioned this a moment ago, it's a great deal is placed on evangelism. And certainly this is significant. There's nothing wrong with talking about evangelism. It's a command that we must fulfill, something we must take seriously. And again, it's going to be a focus of ours 
uh, not only this morning, but also this evening. And I think, especially when we look at Luke chapter 8, I think it's a little bit of a reality check for us, isn't it? In that when we look at the responses that are made by each of these soils that are represented here, we come to an understanding of realizing not everyone is going to be receptive of the gospel. And as unfortunate as that is, it's very true. Not every single person that you talk to about the gospel is going to have a receptive heart, is going to have a receptive attitude of the things that you tell them. However, and I think Joey's going to touch a lot more on this this evening. That's why I have taken the liberty this morning to look at this parable in a different way. Because I think that this is somewhat of a lost concept. When we look at this particular parable, that being the heart, but not necessarily the heart of the people that we are talking to. What I want us to do this morning as we look at this particular parable, I want us to do an examination of our own lives. I want us to do an examination of our own hearts as we walk ourselves through this parable, as we look at each of these soils, I want us to make comparisons to our lives. I want us to look at our hearts and the way that we react and respond to the gospel whenever it is preached to us, whenever we study it, so that when we do go out and we do evangelize and we do encounter these different soils, that we ourselves are the correct soil. That we ourselves are in a good standing with Almighty God before we ever go out and we ever try to talk to someone about Jesus Christ. There's a quote I ran across as I was studying for this lesson. David Anguish said this. He said, Jesus' teaching must be properly heard, accepted, and also practiced. You see, if these three concepts are not carried out by each of us, you and I are not going to be successful Christians. If you and I don't do these things, we are not going to be all that we can be and be as impactful as we can be in our communities in the way that Christ would have us if we are not practicing the things that we have learned and that we have studied. We have to put it within practice within our lives, so we have to ask the question, what kind of soil am I? What kind of soil am, am I? Which one of these represents me as we walk through this particular passage today? We have, number one, the wayside soil. The wayside soil. I want to look at each of these soils really with, with three different concepts uh, for each one of these as we go through this particular parable. Pick up with me here, Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Now skip to verse 12. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. The first concept I want you to understand is this. Hearing is very, very different from listening. Hearing is very, very different from listening. I know we've talked about this before. I know this is a concept that I have discussed here at different times. I understand that I've talked about this before from, uh, from the perspective of parents and children and how as a child, oftentimes I heard my parents, but I didn't really listen to them. There were, things, there were times when they were trying to get me to do something and I heard them, but I didn't actually allow it to resonate within my life. I didn't allow it to take root. And so it didn't affect my choices. It didn't affect the decisions and the things that I did and the way that I lived in my life. You see, when somebody approaches the gospel in this way, when somebody looks at the gospel of Christ and they approach it in a way of where they hear it, but they don't actually listen, they don't actually allow it to resonate within themselves, they cannot be pleasing to Him. When someone looks at the Bible, just like James chapter 1, verses 23 and 24 talks about, it does him or her absolutely no good whatsoever. You see, the wayside soil is the heart of someone who understands what they need to do. 
They know what is right. They know what is wrong. They have an understanding of what is required of them in order to be pleasing and acceptable to God in this life. They know the benefits. They know the hope that they can have by, by living the life of a Christian, but they simply don't listen. The seed or the word of God, it never plants within their hearts and in their lives, and thus they bear no fruit for Jesus. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1, John said this. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Who is John talking about? John's talking about the, the, the risen Savior, isn't he? He's talking about Jesus Christ. He's talking about how he's, how he's eternal. And John is talking about the fact that they had seen, they had heard, they had looked at how they had handled him. They had physically been around him. But when you think about that word heard there in the Greek language of 1 John chapter 1, it's a word that comes to, to somebody who has heard, who has heeded, but then who has also obeyed. You see, Christianity is a religion that is very, very active. You cannot be a, a Christian and have a faith that is completely passive to where you sit around and you don't do anything to further the cause of Jesus Christ. It is more than just hearing, but it is listening, and within that, we make application to our lives. Here's number two. And in this particular soil, we see the devil, quote-unquote, taking away the Word of God. I think this is an interesting way to phrase this because you and I understand the devil can't just come and take away the Word from our hearts, can he? He can't just swoop in and pluck the Word out of our hearts with us having no, uh, no choice in the matter. I'm sure the devil wishes that he could, but we understand that that is not how it takes place. But you know, when I think about this, I think oftentimes when we look at the devil, we, we, we consider him to be God's equal, don't we? Oftentimes we look at the devil and we consider this to be a, a power uh, of two different powers at 50-50. There's 50-50 odds of who's going to win and who's not going to win, and that they're just battling one another, and we hope that maybe God will come out victorious. But you remember, reading through Job chapter 1 all the way through chapter 3, the devil has to go to God, and he has to ask God for permission to do any of the things that he wants to do to Job. We understand the little bit of power that the devil has as it compares to Almighty God, but the way that the devil is able to take the words out of our hearts, the way that the devil is able to pluck the word from our hearts is if we allow him to do it in the first place. By you and I not creating and sustaining a foundation and allowing the seed or the word to sink down into our soils by not caring, by not understanding, by not seeing the importance by only listening, or rather by only hearing and not listening, we create an environment. We create a soil that is prime for the devil to come and to take it all away if we allow him to do that. Here's the scariest thing about it. You know, you can go day by day and not even realize that this is happening to you. You can go day by day. You can even consider yourself a Christian. Maybe you've been baptized. You can come Sunday after Sunday, sit in these pews. You can show up at events. You can, on the outside, be perhaps who you're supposed to be, but then all too quickly realize that you're not grounded in the word of Almighty God. And all too quickly realize that over time the devil has been plucking the word out of your heart. Colossians chapter 2, beginning of verse 6, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted up and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught abounding in it with thanksgiving. Number three, this ultimately comes... From a, from a surrender to the devil. 
The reason that the devil is able to come and pluck the word out of your heart is because you have surrendered your life to him and to his world. By not cultivating your soil, by not cultivating and prepping your heart and grooming yourself to grow and blossom, you are paving the way for the devil. You're inviting him in. You're saying, here, look, take this seed out of my soil because I find no importance of it. I find no use for it. I find no value in it. I don't see how it's going to benefit my life. Devil, here it is. I surrender to you because the world looks so much more appealing. Living like the world looks so much better, and it seems so much more inviting. Living for you, devil, seems like the most fulfilling way to live my life. I think sometimes, without even realizing it, we live our lives that way. Don't surrender to the devil. Don't allow him to rule your life. Because I promise you it won't end very well. Here's the second soil. Notice the rocky soil, beginning of verse 6. Some fell on the rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Verse 13. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. Here's number one. I want you to think about this. Number one, the rocky soil is that which is genuine, but it's only temporary. That which is genuine but only temporary. Obviously, these first three scenarios are all very sad. These first three, first three soils are all very heartbreaking as it comes to the conditions of the hearts that are being taught the gospel. But this one right here may be the most sad out of all of them. Because when we talk about someone who is genuine but temporary, we're, we're looking at someone who is completely uh, genuine, completely engrossed, someone who is completely sincere whenever they come into contact with the gospel. They see the need for salvation. They see the need to have their sins removed. They see the need for the blood of Jesus Christ to wash their sins clean. They understand they can only gain that through Christ, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. They understand the power is in the gospel, Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. And so their soil, their heart is receptive to it. It's open to it. They're ready. They're willing. And they love it. They love the gospel. They're full of joy. They're full of happiness, and so they obey it. They're baptized. They have a zeal. They have a fire that is lit under them. They are ready to go to work and to do all of these things for the cause of Jesus Christ. But then time moves on, and so do they. They lose that zeal. They lose that fire. They lose their faith. And ultimately, once again, it is due to that of a lack of a foundation. They were baptized. They were Christians. They were saved. But they didn't progress. They didn't grow. They didn't get better as Christians. And so they allowed their, their focus to go somewhere else. In fact, the writer of Hebrews talked about this. In Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, he said, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised both to discern good and evil. Instead of a person growing and weaning themselves off of the milk onto the solid food, they have regressed and they have gone backwards in their spiritual walk. Now, I have heard some people say, well, look, preacher, you didn't preach any sermons on Sunday that, 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 that gave me any solid food. You only preached me milk. And you know what? In some places, that might be true. 
In some places, that might be the case. There are some preachers in our brotherhood who don't spiritually feed their congregation, and certainly that is wrong. Brothers and sisters, what about your responsibility as a Christian? What about your personal responsibility to grow and to be who you are supposed to be regardless of what anybody else might be doing in this life? You see, your preacher can't preach you out of hell, and he certainly can't preach you into heaven. Your spiritual growth and foundation is contingent upon your own willingness to grow and to be faithful to God. Are you someone who is willing to take the necessary steps to deepen your foundation, to broaden your growth and your knowledge of the Word of Almighty God? I say all of that to say this, that I've seen it before. I think the Lord's church as a whole sometimes struggles with this concept. They struggle sometimes with this, in that sometimes we as individuals, perhaps the church as a whole, are so quick to baptize and to convert people. And certainly we need to be. We need to be doing all that we can to expand the borders of the kingdom, to to try to get as many people within the walls and within the family of the Lord's church. That certainly should be an emphasis. And I know that sometimes, and not everybody's like this, but sometimes, you know, we see people on Facebook or they send out emails or whatever it might be that talk about all the baptisms they've had a hand in and all of the great things that they've done for the cause of Christ. And certainly those things can be fine. They're, They're trying to tell other people about the good that is happen to the kingdom. But let me ask you this, how many of those people, the ones who have been converted, are still faithful? How many of those people who have been baptized, who have been taught, who have been brought to a knowledge of the gospel, how many of them are still faithful in the Lord's church? How many of those brethren did we continue to concern ourselves with once they were actually converted? You see, Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, a passage we've talked about many times. Jesus there in the Great Commission tells us to go teach and to baptize, and we focus so much on verse 18 and verse 19, but I think sometimes we forget about verse 20, don't we? Where Jesus says, after you have done that, he tells them to continue teaching them, to continue helping them grow even after they're already Christians. You see, we not only have a responsibility to help convert but for lack of a better term, to try to help them stay in a saved position in their lives. I say all of that again to say this, and I know we've said it before. Ultimately, I understand it's up to the individual. You as a person can only do so much. You as a person can only, as as the old adage says, you can only take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. You can do all that you can to help someone bring them to the gospel. Perhaps you've even baptized them, and perhaps maybe you're even still trying to help to teach them. They're not always going to do what they're supposed to do. Ultimately, it is up to the individual, but don't neglect your responsibility as a Christian to help continue teaching them in the way of Jesus. But then number three, ultimately, rocky soil is that of someone who did not count the cost. Before taking that step into submission of Jesus Christ, you see, before I ever commit my life to Him, I need to have somewhat of an understanding of what it is that I'm getting myself into. I need to have somewhat of an understanding of of, of all of the things that I'm going to have to sacrifice if I used to live for the world because my life is about to look drastically different if I'm living the life of a Christian. But because of that, I also understand that I'm going to reap the greatest reward that could ever be given if I'm faithful to Jesus Christ. It was said that a surface and emotional commitment does not last through a lifetime of temptation. You see, if I'm not truly dedicated to the cause of Christ, 
if I'm not truly dedicated to doing all that I can for him and for his glory, that I'm just like this soil. I haven't counted the cost. I haven't really figured out what exactly it's going to cost of me in order to be a faithful Christian. And truth be told, it's a cost that I need to continue to count. All of us here as faithful Christians need to continue counting the cost and need to continue seeing what we can do for the cause of Jesus Christ. Here's number three. Think about the thorny soil. Notice verse 7. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. Verse 14. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. Here's number one. This thorny soil is that of someone who has a good foundation, but there's no further growth in their lives. It reminds me a lot of the soil we just talked about, the rocky soil. Someone who receives the word. They've heard the word, and perhaps there's even some gladness in their lives. They, They know what they need to do. They have a knowledge of what it is that they're supposed to do in order to give their lives to Christ and to stay faithful while doing all of that. They have an understanding, but it doesn't go very deep. It doesn't take root. There's no foundation for them to, that, that they have built upon for the seed to sink down in and to spread its roots. And because of that, number two, they've been choked out by the world. We talk about the world all the time, the flashiness, the, the seductive nature of the world, the, the catchiness that the world offers each of us. And man, sometimes it looks good, doesn't it? Sometimes the world puts itself on display and it gives you, well, it's what we think, maybe our world thinks, an opportunity to quote-unquote live your best life. We've all heard that before. But boy, living for the world is dangerous, isn't it? You see, there's a reason why Jesus prayed His specific prayer in John chapter 17, that God the Father would help keep His disciples from the evil that this world offers. There's a reason why John said in John chapter, or 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, not to love the things that are in the world. There's a reason why Paul wrote to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 12, where he told them in verse 1 and verse 2 to not conform to the world, but to be different from the world. And it's because this is exactly what happens when we become cozy and far too friendly with the world. This is exactly what happens when we don't draw lines where, and we don't draw boundaries of where not to go And when we try to creep as close to the world as we possibly can, we get choked out by the world, and we lose our handle, our grip on the Word of Almighty God. The cares, the riches, and the pleasures of this world, brothers and sisters, it chokes out the gospel. It chokes out the gospel. It's interesting, that word cares in the Greek is actually the word that we get the word anxiety from. And it gives us this idea of of gaining anxiety because of the world around us far too often. We place too much stock in what the world around us thinks about us, don't we? Far too often we care too much about how the world views us or how the world might look at us. Far too often we give the world more credit than it deserves because we think the world is just so great. But the world will always end up leaving you empty. Just ask the prodigal son. We talked about him a couple months ago, Luke chapter 15. He looked at that far country, and boy, he thought it looked good. He thought it looked fulfilling. He thought it was exactly what he wanted. But you see, the far country lied to him, didn't it? The far country was this facade. It wasn't what it actually was. It was deceitful, and it was fake. And that's exactly what this world is. And if we're not careful, brothers and sisters, we will get too close to the world, and we will allow it to choke out the gospel in our lives. You see, when we fill ourselves up with the world, we leave no room for Jesus in our lives. 
But then number three, three, ultimately, we bear no fruit for Jesus Christ. You see, we should be doing all that we can for the cause and for the glory of His. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16 tells me I'm to point people to the Father. But you see, when I am so consumed with the world, when I am so consumed with everything that the world offers me, with all of the success that the world promises me to have in this life, when I devote everything to that, I don't allow myself any time, energy, or effort, or perhaps even time in my life to give over to Jesus Christ. You see, a divided allegiance is never going to be accepted by God, nor does it do any good for Him. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount tells us that. The choice that we talked about last week, fathers, taking the initiative to step up and to make a choice on behalf of your families on who it is that you're going to serve in this life. If we want to be bearing fruit for Christ, then we must allow the seed to implant within our own lives. And what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 7, verse 19? Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I know none of us want that to be said of us. Here's number four. Think about the good soil. We'll end on a good note, the good soil. Notice verse 8. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. But the ones that fell on the good ground, verse 15, are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Think about someone who has a beautiful heart. Think about good soil, soil that has been prepped, soil that is ready, soil that represents a truly beautiful heart. Cletus and I and Canley, we've been talking a lot about gardens lately because Cletus has been planting a lot in his, we've been planting a lot in ours. I know Jason knows all about this as well. Soil has to be prepped. Soil has to be put in a good state in order for the seed to implant and to grow its roots down in so that it can grow into something that is fruitful and bears fruit. You see, when we talk about good soil, because we're talking about, when we talk about hearts, right? Though just like other soils, perhaps even the ones that we've talked about today, we're talking about a soil, a heart that is ready and genuine. You see, it differs in that it is a heart that is receptive and willing to submit, in that it is a heart that loves Jesus Christ. It is a heart that puts Christ first and above everything else. It's a heart that understands that there is more to this life than just simply living for the world in which it is present. A heart that's willing and ready to work for Jesus. A heart that is truly beautiful. But it's beautiful because, number two, it's a heart that keeps the Word of Almighty God. It's a heart that is ready to keep the Word and to bury it within itself. Psalm 119 and verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I'm going to take the seed and I'm going to keep it in my heart. I'm going to do all that I can to mold and to adhere to the commands of Jesus, not only in that I'm going to keep it, but I'm going to protect it once it's in my heart. I'm going to guard it. I'm going to feed it. I'm going to help it grow, and I'm going to see it blossom and produce good fruit. That's how I, as an individual, am a good and effective soil by surrendering myself to the power of Jesus Christ, by allowing Him to use me wherever it is that I can be used to His glory and to His praise. And we have that mindset about us. We're able to set aside the worries and the anxieties of this world. We're able to be effective workers in the kingdom. But not only that, number four, or number three, which is contrary to all of these other soils, you and I will be individuals who are able to bear fruit. Unlike that of any of the other soils, when the seed implants, it takes root, it blossoms, 
and it bears fruit. It brings about good results of the kingdom. You see, that's the power of the seed, isn't it? That's the power of the gospel. And that when you take a heart, a soil, that is humble, that is willing and receptive to its message, the gospel is able to take hold of that heart, to implant it, to grow its roots deep, and to use that heart for its good. Let me ask you this as we close. What kind of heart do you have? What kind of heart do you have this morning? We talk and we place so much emphasis on everyone else around us. Certainly we need to. But don't forget about yourself. Before you are ever able to go and to be an effective evangelist for Jesus Christ, you yourself have to make sure that you are doing all that you can to be faithful to Him. What kind of heart or soil must I have, do I have? Number one, do you have a hard soil or hard heart? Like that of the wayside soil. Maybe you're not even allowing the seed to get into your heart. Maybe you hear it, but you turn yourself away. Maybe there's things that you hear that you don't like, that you don't agree with, and so you don't even give it a chance. Maybe you're someone who's only present this morning because you simply feel like you have to be here. Maybe you would disappoint your grandmother if you didn't come. Maybe you disappoint your parents, or perhaps maybe the elders, and you don't want a phone call asking about where you've been. Maybe that's just why you're here. Maybe you don't really care about what's being said, what's being discussed. Maybe you're wishing we would have gotten out of here 30 minutes ago and I would quit talking. Maybe that's why you're here this morning. Maybe you have a shallow heart. Maybe you have a heart that at one time was genuine. Maybe you had a heart that at one time was joyful. One time was extremely excited to be a Christian. But maybe you have a heart at this point that's not willing to grow and to progress. Maybe you have a heart that's not willing to dig deep, to, to strengthen itself, a heart that has allowed itself to become easy picking for the devil because you are a heart that has no foundation and you are a heart that falls away ever so easily. Does that describe you this morning? Maybe number three, you have a crowded heart. Maybe you're a lot like that of the thorny soil. In that, maybe your heart is, is one that was started out on the right path. Maybe you were strong. You were zealous. You were on fire. You were doing all that you could for Jesus Christ, but maybe then you got distracted. Maybe the things of the world, the cares, the riches, the pleasures, maybe that became your focus. Maybe it became the only thing you cared about, and you no longer were keeping God first in your life and living for Him. Perhaps in all of those things, you crowded your heart with the world, and because of that, you pushed out God. Maybe that's you this morning. Or maybe, number four, you have a soft heart. Maybe you have the heart of the soil that's good, that's honest. Maybe you have a heart that's willing and ready to be molded by God. A heart that wants to be used by God. A heart that's receptive, humble, and willing to grow in every area. Maybe that describes you this morning. And perhaps you're someone who is a Christian and you're doing all that you can because you have a soft heart. I implore you, keep doing that. Keep being who you're being and strive for growth in your life. But maybe you're here and perhaps you are someone who has a soft heart, but you're not yet a Christian. And maybe the seed has been implanted within you either this morning or perhaps maybe through your own study on your own time. And you have come to an understanding and a realization that perhaps your life is not what it should be. Maybe your life hasn't been dedicated to Jesus Christ. You haven't submitted yourself to him. 
but you want to take care of that. And because of your soft heart, you are willing and ready to take that step to give your life over to Jesus Christ by being immersed in the water, that water representing Jesus shed blood on the cross of Calvary, washing away your sins. And if that's the case this morning, know that you can respond to the invitation and we'll help you in whatever way that we can. But maybe you're here as a Christian. Perhaps your heart hasn't always been as soft as it is right now. Maybe your life at one point was great. Maybe you were doing all that you should do for Christ, but maybe over time you fell away. You lost your zeal. You lost your fire. You lost... Uh, perhaps maybe your place, but you want to come back because your heart is softened once again. You want to come back to your family. You want to repent of the things that you've done. You want to ask God for forgiveness. Ask your family for forgiveness. Understand that we'll do all that we can to help you and to encourage you. If you have a need this morning, won't you come? It's together we stand and as we sing. Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you'd like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262, or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.